Hello and welcome to Export Audio 124. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Jackson. Hello. Jackson is joined by Autumn. Hi, that's me. I'm Autumn. And we are all joined in a mental bond. Oh, I thought you were going to say we are all joined by Safira. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Christopher Paolini. Uh. <laughs> we are joined by Christopher Paolini. I'm trying to find uh, the little phrase from the ancient language. A bazinga. Eka I frikai un shirtigal. I am a writer and a friend. Bazinga. <laughs> he does say bazinga and then cast a spell. <laughs> the fourth book in the inherit the third book in the inheritance cycle, Bazinga. That's right. It's really funny that they made the They made them the say it out loud. The third book a fake word. Yeah. It sounds like Bazinga. Bazinga. <laughs> At least Aragon sounds like a real fake word. It's because it's like dragon. <laughs> okay. It's like dragon, but they replaced one letter. But what if actually the word dragon derives from Aragon? Because Aragon, as the first dragon rider, was the first person to have a positive interaction with a dragon. He's called Drogon after Drogo. <laughs> 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 I'm still fucked up about the era gone part of it. That's the part that really fucked. Well, he's me from up. the era that's gone. No, he's he's reminiscent of the era that's gone. Yep. A long time ago, <clears throat> like a hundred years ago. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Humans have only been on Allegasia as a continent for 800 years. Can I ask a question? What, hang on, why if the hang, what are you on about? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Where were they before this? Across the sea. Okay. There are other lands outside of Allegasia. They talk about it all the time in the book. Okay, not in the movie they don't. <laughs> yeah, no. But humans came to this area 2,000 years ago did some trading with some dwarves and immediately left and didn't show up for years later until about 800 years ago they came back. Uh, and actually they settled in Palancar Valley at the first with King Palancar. So the, the people in Carvajal are all descended from a mad king. Okay, so the, the thing that messed me up about this movie was when Sephira says, I've been waiting a thousand years to hatch yeah, just that's for bullshit. you. That's just bullshit? That's just bullshit. Okay. Galvatorix rose to power a hundred years ago. Well, I know Gavitz. Wait, wait, he's a hundred years old. He's like hundred forty, but yeah, I think. Do you just if you are if you're a wizard, do you just get to be old? Yeah, but that doesn't well, make if sense. You're a dragon it doesn't make sense because the dragon riders. Right, I was gonna say like, how old is Jeremy Irons? <laughs> yeah, how old is Jeremy Irons? So, <laughs> Galbatorix is one hundred and thirty-four. Well, how old is Jeremy what? Irons? I'm looking at it. Hold on. Because in, in the movies, it plays like everything happened like nebulously Star Wars long ago, like for the original Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Where the Empire yeah. rose, and it's technically within living memory, but only for like 12 guys. <laughs> uh... Age. It's really funny that on the Inheritance Wiki, they have a picture of... Uh... Jeremy Irons for Brom, but they have a drawing of Galbatorix. 
Well, I can click the... Oh, okay, I guess not. Galbatorix name uh, means Big so, King in Celtic. What up, Big King? Brom Holcomb's <laughs> son was born in 78-71 and died 78-76. Okay. No, he was born between... <laughs> He was born somewhere between those three years after Morzan. He died in 8000 AC. So he's like 124 to 129. Yeah. Okay. Aragorn's Brom's kid? Nora spoiled this for me, and I wanted I wanted her to tell you about it on the podcast. I didn't know that we were gonna just jump into that. (laughs) But yeah, I guess full spoilers on anything Aragon in this part. So I'm just on the Wikipedia page because I I just watched the the um the movie and none of this comes through. I didn't know. Yeah, half of that hadn't been written yet. So, but I didn't know that like the, the dragon riders were like supernaturally old. Yeah, that did not play in the movie at all. Or in the first book, to my recollection. Oh, it, they talk about it in the first book. Okay. I should read I should read The these. fundamental rules that certain things work by are different between the mo- movie and the book. Okay. So it's hard to, like... I need you to explain to Jackson, because you explained this to me the other day, and it's hilarious. I need you to explain... How and why Brom is uh, are, Aragon's dad? Are we talking about the movie or the books? Well, well we're going to talk it? about the movie, but I just I need them to hear this because okay. it's great. <laughs> so we get the reveal in the second book that Murtag, the goth boy from this movie, yes, uh, is actually Aragon's brother because he realized that they share uh, a mother. Which makes all the gay Selena. stuff in this movie funny. Wait, 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 uh, funnier. wait, 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 wait. So, because so, he's also the son of whatever the guy, the, the guy that, that Brom killed. Yes, Morzam. Morzam. Leader of the Forsworn, the 13 <laughs> dragon riders who served Galbatorix. So, w- this raises a lot of questions about <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> vis-a-vis uh-huh. the people that Morzam was fucking. <laughs> <laughs> And who was getting so, cucked in this situation? <laughs> so what happened was after the fall of the Riders, Morzan and the other Forsworn are all like sort of fighting against each other at times to try and gain the king's favor, making moves, playing their like political game, etc. There is a woman called the Black Hand who is like this super spy. She does lots of fucked up shit. And she gets stuff done, and she works for Morzan, and they end up getting married. Mm-hmm. And now Aragon doesn't know who his parents are. He knows that his uh, mother left him with her brother in Carvajal. In the second book, Murtag shows up after having spent the whole book being presumed dead after like an Urgle attack at the beginning, and he reveals actually I'm a dragon rider now, and also. Uh, we're brothers. You're the son of Morzan, who is the Darth Vader of of this story. You could say. except he, he dies died. off screen before the books start. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what if what if like in the the, the like before Star Wars, Obi Wan just went and murked Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also Padme, who is Mara Jade. Yes, <laughs> uh, was married to Darth Vader, but they only met after he was Darth Vader. Anyway. Brom 
in was like hunting the Forsworn at the time, and he's posing as a bard in Morzan's estate, and he ends up like falling in love with Selena. And so they were fucking. <laughs> and so that's that's like the second reveal in the third book that actually your your father was Brom, so you were not destined for evil. Which I think this is great because what if in Return of the Jedi they revealed, oh, actually Obi Wan was your dad and he cut Darth Vader <laughs> because it's 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 a lot, but like it's so funny. If you've not read Aragon uh, or watched Aragon, Aragon's the story of Aragon, who is a um, farm boy who finds a dragon egg and then goes on a quest. None of this would have been clear to you from the last ten minutes of conversation. But (laughs) (laughs) we watched Aragon for this podcast and have now already lost ourselves off uh, the Paolini deep ends. I wasn't going to start with just late game inheritance cycle spoilers oh yeah i was i wanted to ask you that question but i was gonna like save it for once we talked about the movie a little bit and then jackson just no i was i was like i'm just gonna react to this it's chaos energy on this um, podcast so these are very different stories the books and the movie can i just say that i'm reading the wikipedia page that says list of inheritance cycle characters then man okay <laughs> We'll get into this off characters don't show up. Yeah. Um, anyway. The rules are fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to get too bogged down in pointing out the differences because I think that talking about this movie on its own is also funny to do. Yeah. Uh, but, like, the thing where if the dragon, if the rider dies, so does the dragon, that doesn't, that's not real. That's not real? Oh, okay. That's... No, they, they say that. As, like, a figure of speech for, like, oh, sometimes when one of them dies and the other doesn't, the other, the survivor will be, like, horribly traumatized and want to die. But not... And sometimes that happens. <laughs> but, like, it's not an automatic thing, but it, it does feel like you're dying because, like, part of, a thing that is, like, part of you is dying. Okay. But it's, like, a, a <laughs> great tragedy when one half of this bond dies. Should we pull back and, like, summarize the film Aragon? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Hi, everybody. We're here to talk about the movie, 2006 movie Aragon. Uh, uh, in the 2006 um, movie Aragon, uh, Aragon... Aragon is a hunter. He goes out hunting. He finds a dragon egg. He tries to sell it for food. Then he says it's from the spine, and the butcher's like, oh, well, no, fuck that then. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the spooky forest and the spooky mountains and so he can't do that eventually it hatches into a dragon he tries to give it milk from a bag and the dragon rips the bag open and then doesn't understand why there's no milk uh, I don't know why you would give a reptile milk <laughs> I hear it's good <laughs> <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, he is having homosexual sex with his current Roran. <laughs> <laughs> That's just explicitly what's happening in the film. I don't know how you can watch this movie and get this anything the, else from This it. is the gayest movie ever, and none of it is intentional. But also, I can't put that, like, 
responsibility on the filmmakers because it's in the book too. But the book, oh. the book, I assume, does not have them like immediately come in and wrestle in like medieval Abercrombie and Finch clothes. <laughs> no, but Aragon and Murtag immediately have the homo vibes. In the book. Like they, they go on a trip together and they like, and they just like start sparring. And they're perfectly matched for each other, so they're just wailing away at each other, and they're both tiring at the same time. The hum of vibes it's, you have. It's also funny because Rorian and Aragon look identical. Literally, <laughs> I believe oh, those twink I, for twink I, DM, I, I believe I DM'd to Nora when Rorian showed up on screen with, "My God, there's two of them." <laughs> <laughs> So these identical twin cousins are fucking, and Rorit is like, I'm gonna um, leave because I don't want to get conscripted into the military, and Aragon's all sad because uh, his brother cousin is going away. (laughs) What? And also, like, Aragon's 17, so is less than a year until he will also be conscripted, so uh, why they don't just go together, I have no idea. Yeah, because the real reason that Roran is leaving got written out of the movie, and this happens with several plot points. Of like, okay, wait, there wait was did, a we thing got, we'll do that later. We'll do, we got, what is the plot cha- of Aragon the movie? Let's get to the end of the film, and then we'll do this. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that like there are several things in this movie that are weird because they changed something from the book, but didn't have a good like thing to replace it with. Yes, and so there's a lot of like weird disjointed bits of this this story so in in the movie though uh, I'll, I'll do it because no you're not allowed to do it you know you know the plot of the book so i'll, I'll just do it um in the movie uh Rowan leaves and then um he, uh aragon's kind of sat around town and uh he like uh is looking up to brom who's a cool guy who is throwing back the fact that he resists uh galbatorix in the face of the soldiers who won't kill him for some reason um which it's weird. It, it, it's, he's just that old storyteller. He's that old storyteller. And it's unclear if even the movie thinks that this is like, he's doing this because he knows that they know who he is, or if it's just bad writing. Because <laughs> um, I, I, Some might say that there's a piece missing from this uh, dynamic. That, okay. <laughs> Make it a lot. <laughs> Make it a lot clearer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Galbatorix uh, suffers without his stone. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And so not he, for long why does he call it a stone? There's a nose, it's an egg. <laughs> and so he dispatches uh, Ringwraiths uh, to chase after Aragon. He, he conjures the Razak. Yeah, Ringwraiths. Um, <laughs> and the Ringwraiths attack the town, and Aragon's like, oh shit, it's Ringwraith from that movie Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> but they're covered in bugs. And so he starts running away. Um, and he like runs away on. Uh, uh, he's like saved uh, by the dragon. Uh, what's the dragon's name against Safina? Sapphira. Sapphira. It's like Sapphire. Yeah, uh, Sapphira. <laughs> and uh, he goes back to his um to his town uh, to his little like farm, and his uncle's got uh you know, uh, uh Lars and Barud. Uh, only Imperial stormtroopers could be so precise. Um, <laughs> he's got a, he's got a handful of sticks on his body, but everything else is pretty good. And then it's fine. then Brom shows up and like has to like grumpily rescue him. He just burns the body. He's like a funeral fit for a king. And I'm like, yeah, Jeremy Irons is committed to this role. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> when is he ever not? Jeremy Irons is absolutely the best part of this movie. Absolutely. To be clear. And then what proceeds is like a string of the world's most disconnected scenes as they escape. <laughs> Their vague plan is to get to the Varden, which is where mm-hmm. like there is like a holdout that they don't. The Empire doesn't know where it is. Um, like Albatox doesn't know where it is just yet, but it is where the forces of that are resisting. Are, but they're not really doing any active resisting. They're just kind of there because they they are trying to get Aragorn because they know there's one more dragon rider and they're going to use their, his power to fight Galvatorix. That's their goal. And so Brom is here to like uh, bring uh, Aragorn to the Varden, and they take this journey. Uh, Aragorn sees a fortune teller who's like, oh. There's a girl ahead and stuff's going to happen. And none of that ends up mattering at all. <laughs> like, even slightly, because I assume that's all future books and got changed. Um, mm. He learns about Brom's backstory, who, guess what? He was also a dragon rider and he lost his dragon, but then he went and killed uh, uh, Morzan, who killed his dragon. And now he's like, ah, oh, I regret. I'm the cool badass. He, he killed Morzan and his dragon by himself. Well,. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it plays as if he stabs Morzana, then the dragon just died because that's what happens. Yes, but I assume in the book he actually has to kill a dragon. True in, I guess that's also true in the book, in that he killed the dragon and Morzan, but not by exploiting this weird rule that exists in the movie. Yes, in the movie, if you kill the dragon rider, uh, the dragon also dies. Anyway, um, they almost get to. Uh, <laughs> to the the Varden, and then Aragorn has a vision of the girl uh, who is called Arya. Arya. Great. Like Game of Thrones. (laughs) Like Game of Thrones. Um, He's he's called Arya, who is apparently held in a single room. (laughs) (laughs) Because, so, it it literally cuts with them in a field, and he's like, I'm going to rescue her. And then he's, like, in the chamber where she is, being watched over by... No, there's one shot where he's on a hill looking down at the big square building that she's in. <laughs> and then he's immediately in the room, which is like a single set. Like, the cut is wild. And then he has a little fight with the um, with the guy there. What's his, what's the actual name? The name is it? Durza? Durza the Shade. Durza the Shade. I remember he was a Shade. I forgot his name. Um, but they fight Durza the Shade, who's like the guy who's chasing them. And... Uh, he rescues uh, Arya, and then from off screen, out of nowhere, uh, Brom appears to take like a crossbow bolt that's aimed at Aragorn and save his life. And again, this is the mi- this is like the most valuable prisoner in the middle of a fort that is like, just like oh, Brom's here <laughs> from from stage left. <laughs> there is no. It is. So funny when he shows up. There's not a single <laughs> shot. There's not even like an insert shot of him like right. You could totally have an insert shot right of him beforehand saying, "I won't come back for you." Right, and riding onto the veil mm. or the veil. That's from the Game of Thrones. Riding onto the Varden and then going like grumpily, oh, "I'll turn back." Right. So when he shows up, you know this was a decision he made because he still cares about Aragon. Not exceptional filmmaking there, but at least some kind of a setup in the movie. <laughs> That they made. <laughs> He's not there. He just appears. <laughs> I legit thought it was magic. I legit thought he cast a spell to like summon himself to where Aragon yeah. was. Totally, but no, he just fucking there. And they then they leave the room, by which I mean they escape the entire place with no guards. They leave the they they also exit stage left. Uh, well, they have to fight some guys because Murtag shows up to help them. Yes. 
Right, I forgot this is the part where because Mad Max shows up like real late into this movie. Uh, and it's like, hi, I'm yeah. also part of the trio. There's even less time for character development for me. I'm here now. And they're like, sure, whatever. I'm kind of more important than Brom, but, uh, you know, five minutes is enough. Yep. And then they get to the Varden and they spend about five minutes there before they have like a showdown with uh, Dursa leading Galbatorix forces who helpfully line up in a line so that they can all be killed by a dragon that can breathe fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> With some, like, super magic trials shit, uh, Aragorn and Sphere are able to kill Durza by stabbing him through the heart, and then they remain... This part's kind of sick. They remain there in the Varden going, we'll... Now we know the responsibility and the burden we bear, we will fight for a better tomorrow uh, in the sequels that have been (laughs) cancelled. It's weird. I wish I could see this vision of Aragon carried forward because they changed or omitted so many pieces mm-hmm. that it would be such a totally different story. I think it would be really interesting, but instead we oh. got this <laughs> instead we get this movie where John Malkovich is there for five minutes being the gayest motherfucker. I suffer so, yeah, it's not just... my stone. <laughs> it's not just Aragon and Roran and Aragon and Murtag and a little Aragon and Braum. Um It's also Galbatorix and Durza. <laughs> There's like this harsh BDSM vibe every yeah. time that he's commanding him. John Malkovich plays Galbatorix and is trying to do like some type of accent of some variety. I uh, suffer with But it just stone. comes <laughs> off as like menacing top. <laughs> <laughs> It comes off as menacing top who like read about being a top in a book once. Yes, yes. Slaps the bed with my belt. <laughs> <laughs> Do not prolong my suffering. <laughs> so, um, there's a lot of pieces of the book that got t- written out that mean that a lot of this movie is sort of haphazardly strung together because like. Rorin leaves town to go to the next town over to become a miller so that he can raise money to start, like, a family with this girl he likes. That's fake. He doesn't like girls. (laughs) He's so dedicated to Katrina that he leads the entire village out of the valley down to join the Varden so that he can have a shot at rescuing her from the Razak. Mm Mm-hmm. Who are characters. And not... What? The Ringwraiths from Lord of the Rings. No, they actually, like, the Razak are a species of, like, humanoid bug people. Huh. Um, that when they reach maturity, they turn into, like, quadrupedal, almost dragon-like creatures. Hmm. And their whole thing is that they are ancient predators of humans. To the point that, like, humans can't sense their minds with magic, which is a huge part of how magic works in Aragon. Like, every human being has the capacity to be telepathic in this series. <laughs> well, are they all linked um, by the midichlorians? <laughs> <laughs> um, it binds us and penetrates us. <laughs> anyway. Uh, like, there's that. Angela is like Doctor Who Miss Frizzle. 
in the books. Is that that fortune teller that looks yeah. like uh, Jennifer Lawrence in this yeah, movie? Yeah, uh, She's supposed to be this, like, quippy, like, snarky lady with, uh, with Miss Frizzle hair who fights with a, like, double-ended staff sword uh, and, like, knows everything but doesn't reveal hardly anything. Also, she has a friend who's a werecat who gives Aragon, like, prophecy stuff. So, in in the book, does Aragon just, like, walk into a shop and find her? Well, they're in term to... So, the first half of that book is about them tracking the Razak, Mm -hmm. because the Razak killed his uncle, and he wants revenge. And this Brahm is going along with this, being like, okay, I can at least teach you how to do stuff while we're doing this. Um, and that leads them to Tyrm, where they are looking through shipping records to try and find where a specific type of oil was bought and sold. They cut a lot out of this movie. And and next door to their... Brahm's friend, Jode. Next door to his I feel like Brahm's friend, Jode. Brom's friend Jode, who used to run a shipping company that would send supplies to the Varden secretly. Uh, next door is Angela the Herbalist. And he kind of he does kind of just wander in because he's like, oh, I wonder what all this is about. And then he ends up having a conversation with Solumbum, who's a werecat. Can I... Yeah. <laughs> we, we will get back to talking about, like, you know, the plot and the everything... Can I just briefly divert into... Because this scene with... um, uh, What's her face? Angela. uh, Just reminded me of, like... One thing about this movie is that it looks incredible. And by incredible, I mean unbelievable. (laughs) Because it's it's got the most intense color grading. (laughs) It's... Like, they show up to Derret, which is a totally different town that they go to. They kind of, me- like, meshed a bunch of stuff together. They show up to Derret. He says, buy us some bread. Don't talk to anyone. He immediately goes into the shop, the, the fortune teller's shop. Has a scene where she tells his fortune. Walks out. Suddenly, it's the dead of night. Yeah, and when he when he walks in, it's purple outside, and when he walks out, it's dark blue. And in the shop, it's like this, like kind of like maroon color, and like <laughs> it's just incredible. There's also a scene earlier in like the in his hometown where he goes to the village, and it's like the it's, it's evil this- dark blue of like. You know. The oppression of the soldiers. Yeah. Like, that's the scene where Brom has his chickens. Yeah. And then, he, <laughs> and then he goes a mile away to his home, and it's, like, the most pastoral, like, Norman Rockwell. Like, yeah. Amber waves of grain. <laughs> yeah. It's, like... The, and that is, like, a couple miles away from each other, in theory, but, like, in the book, that is, in the movie, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Because of space... Th- this movie is, like... There's, like, a weird, like, spacelessness to this movie, despite the fact that, like, a good 50% of it is helicopter shots of people riding horses. That's the thing. Like, half of this book is just travel. Uh Uh-huh. So so here's the thing with, like, the way that the settings work. It's clearly a $100 million movie, which is not, like, super expensive, but it's not, like, super cheap either. 
So it's in this mm-hmm. weird middle area where, like, they clearly have the money and, like, they spent a lot on, on the effect shots and the, and the stuff. But, like, when he goes into that shop, right, it's, like, one single shot of him around the back and then there's one guy that they fight. And, like, it is a full town and there's, like, a battle on a bridge and everything. But there's, there's no, like, establishing shot to give the space context. It literally looks like they pulled up to, like, two huts. <laughs> it does it does because they, they do a battle on a little bridge right they, they do a battle <laughs> on a little bridge afterwards and there's no sense of like oh I guess this is the bridge they came in on they don't like establish the geography very well at all uh, like we, no. we make fun of the bit where Jeremy Irons is suddenly there in the one room in <laughs> this, this <laughs> like to die for no reason but the, the whole movie like approaches geography like that it's really one of my favourite cuts and this is a scene that doesn't actually matter but mm-hmm. It is a scene that like establishes this problem is that they're riding one day and they come to a ridge and they see like down there is like a gathering, like a small town that is being ransacked. Um, I think it's a caravan. A caravan, yeah, it's a caravan that's being ransacked and attacked by soldiers and Aragorn's like, I will do this. I will fight them. And uh, Brom's like, no, it's not the Jedi way. Uh, and also you're a pussy. <laughs> He's, he says like, Urgles, they used to be the king's enemy, now they're his guard. Which is like a... That reveal is like a plot point in the book. <laughs> Not just a line that's thrown out. Because in, in the thing, it, it, like in the movie, what it plays is like, oh, like... Th- this We'll get into this later, but like the idea of like Albuquerque's rule has no politics. It's just bad. And yeah, the, yeah. Like, no. like also, the Urgles don't even have horns, and they're not even big. So there's a, like a lot that was changed there. There's not even there's not even a guy walks in and says Galvatorix has dissolved the Senate, and then yeah. there's not even we blew up Alderaan. The, the, like, the only the only sense of what we'll get I, I, actually I have to defer this because the the line is too loaded to not spend twenty minutes talking about. But I have to talk about the shot first. So they come to this ridge and. Uh, Erica's like, I will kill them. And Brom's like, you're a fucking pussy idiot. And you will not do these things. And then it hard cuts to him being like, he says like, I've trained with, with swords. I fucked my cousin. (laughs) 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 Brom's like, oh, did you now? (laughs) So, and then, you saw all, uh then it like hard cuts and they're suddenly on like the, 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 edge of a stream on like a brook yes. doing this fight they, they were never they were in the middle of a forest before there's no way like why are they here how have they come here and they do this like fight scene as he tests his abilities and obviously he's bad uh, but like he has he has spirit or whatever he's like oh, I'll train you and then the scene this montage ends and then they're immediately back in the shelter of the forest like at camp again with no like context as to how much time has passed what does any of this mean I can <laughs> yeah I know I've seen this movie like two three four times now something like that because that didn't phase me at all i was like right this is the part of the movie where they're creek doing the fight and it just i just well whoop, that, that, so you missed it that's why it stuck out to me is because it's like it's not like one of the ones where it's like super extreme but i think it is indicative of the lack of like care the movie put- i bet that there is a two hour edit of this movie somewhere yes uh because this movie yeah, feels like it's got sure. real cut to the bone yeah, I'm going to send you an image here. Okay. So you saw all of Galbatorix's bikers. Yes. All the Rem- all of the guys, the greasy, yes. bald guys right, with right, the right, right. beards and everything. The those- guys that jump to attack like four different times in this movie. Yes. <laughs> so here's art. I don't know where this art is from, 
it might be from the Guide to Allegasia, like, source book or whatever. But that's what they're supposed to look like. These are humans, Urgles, dwarves, and elves. Um, Here are the lads the coming are through. Supposed to be... <laughs> <laughs> this is me and the boys after I get the vaccine. Yeah, this is after the vaccine. <laughs> Urgles are supposed to be big and horned, and they have, like, their home... Uh, Urgles are supposed own, to be like, big and deal. horned. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like, it's a... It's... There's, like, a whole thing where, like, in the first book, Urgles are, like, complete fantasy cannon fodder, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely zero thought about it. And then in the second book, the Urgles show up and we're like, hey, we were mind-controlled in the last book... Can we join your rebellion? We don't like that we were used by Galbatorix. Also, we have a feeling that whoever wins this war is going to genocide us because we are more violent than you because of our blood. The Krogan. Um, right. Uh, so can we please be part of the resistance and maybe try to have peace instead? And Aragon is like, no, <laughs> you're filthy animals and you're so violent. Oh, I hate you. We should all we should kill all of you. And then he spends five minutes, like, inside the Urkel's head and, like, reliving all their memories. And when he comes back, he's like, ah, I have perspective now. You're just like us, really. Amazing. There's also, um, <clears throat> something I said to you, because there's, like, a shot, um, while Brahm is still alive, I think, of, like, Murtag, like, see like there's like a shot where it's like murtag is watching aragon and brahm do something he's like hiding somewhere he sees them and it's like oh who's that guy he's got actor face (laughs) (laughs) because there's a real dichotomy in this movie between people who are like characters that have are like you know clean and like um normal looking <laughs> and then all like the urgles and peasants who have just like all sorts of dirt and shit like covered up like all the villagers yeah like all the villagers look like dirty as shit in this movie and then you cut to murtag who's like clean shaven and like beautiful so also by the way in the book there's no imperial presence in the village at all <laughs> like there aren't soldiers there until the second book when they come to take Roran because they want to use him to get to Aragon. Mm-hmm. And that's when Roran leads the villagers to be like, ah, we have to exercise our Second Amendment rights. This is our land. <laughs> we don't want the government coming in here. Wait, so, so does Roran not leave in the first book? He leaves for Theronsford, which is the next town over. Oh, so he just like... He's just like chilling. He's not. He's not. Like, yeah, he's going on some epic quest to avoid conscription. <laughs> no, he's leaving for six months to raise money so that he can ask Sloane the butcher for permission to marry his daughter and like have money to like be like, hey, I can provide for her. I promise. I'm gonna like, go grind for six months so I can fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, he's. It's like he'll be back within a year. It's just like Aragon doesn't want him to go because. You know. Yeah, they're like brothers. I love that he introduces this character. Like he he doesn't humanize the uncle at all. Like the uncle gets no screen. Like how much screen does the uncle get in the book? 
A decent amount. When Roran leaves, he gives him like a bunch of okay. libertarian father advice. Okay, that's more than here. Cause, he has like a whole speech. Because here it feels like they're building up Roran to get killed and be the motivating factor. Instead, he leaves and avoids it. And then some guy that doesn't matter in the like text of the movie gets killed. And Eric's like, no! <laughs> no, how could you do this? There's a lot more time spent with those two characters in the book as well. Yes, like, it's like 15 minutes till he's like left the town in the movie. Yeah, it's pretty fast. And you yeah. showed me the list of chapters before he, like... <laughs> There's, like, it's, 15 chapters before... <laughs> it's it's 15 minutes, and also you can't forget that the first five minutes are, uh, I suffer without my stone, <laughs> and then Arya, like... That's the prologue, is Arya being ambushed by Durza. Yeah, Arya, like... This, this set oh, me off Durza. a while back, because Arya is running away from Durza and holds up the stone and puts on an O-face and, and teleports <laughs> it away. <laughs> no, she puts on the O-face when Aragon touches the stone. Right. And every time she gets tortured. Yeah. Um, and this really fucked with my head because I was like, how did it end up at Aragon? And I asked you, like, is there the force in this series? Or because like I can answer that if you don't mind more spoilers like deep spoilers in in, in the movie they explain this uh, how do they explain so, it in so the for the movie's logic which is probably different to the book but they say that like when she did this it like the 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 egg went to the person it needed to go to because uh, Sephira had already chosen Aragon as the rider and so right because she says i've been, I've been waiting, waiting for, for a thousand, thousand years, years which fucked with me because I was like so let's say hypothetically Aragon just Aragon just dies in that like farm fire, you know, like does Saphira just never hatch? Like is she matched to Aragon and has she been matched to him for a thousand years? That fucked with my head. And I just started to wonder like if Saphira had been like teleported somewhere else to some other random pure of heart boy, would Aragon just remain a farm boy and somebody else would be the like is she matched to aragon from birth or fate is a whole different like the books have a very like vague idea of whether or not fate exists Mm -hmm. and it seems to mostly uh fall on the side of there's no fate but what we make if you want to put it as like a pithy quote um, i mean that's nice and all but he did write the book that the aragon was prophesized (laughs) what like, he, Aragorn still gets the egg, right? Like, you can say there's no fate mm-hmm. for what we make, but Aragorn's still the chosen one cool guy. Right, but Sephira doesn't have to be with Aragorn. Sephira okay. chose to be with Aragorn and didn't choose Aragorn until she met Aragorn. Okay, because in the movie okay. she chose him thousands of years ago and was waiting for yeah. a guy this cool to come along. <laughs> Regardless, um, I was saying something a second ago. We were talking about Aragorn, Arya, O-Face. We were talking about fate. We were talking about um, uh, Arya is barely in this movie, and it's weird because she keeps making eyes at Aragorn, and Aragorn's like not doing it back, which really only reinforces. But he does make eyes at Murtog like a dozen times, which is also weird because Murtog has some of the worst hair I've ever seen in a movie. I love it. <laughs> it's so bad. It's 2006's hair. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a Kingdom Hearts character. He looks like a bad cosplayer of a Kingdom Hearts character. Specifically Zexion. <laughs> yes. 
I believe you'll find that Murtag actually is smexy. I hate oh, this. yeah. Okay, we go in this Roar XD. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I guess I can't complain because my status on Discord has been for months, come to the dark side, we have cookies x3. Yeah, no. <laughs> Don't act like you do not also have nostalgia for this powerfully stupid era. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Um, what else is in this movie? Dwarves? Question mark? Are dwarves in this movie? Hrothgar is there. He has a stick. Who's Hrothgar? The king of the dwarves? The beard guy? The beard guy? Yeah. The guy in charge who's not black? Okay. He was a dwarf? Okay. Yeah! <laughs> Damn. Does not come through. Right. I was gonna say, do you actually want me to tell you why Aragon gets the egg? Yeah, tell me why Aragon gets the egg. There is... A group of dead oh my god <laughs> i okay so <laughs> yeah dragons have in their bodies a stone called an eldenari do they suffer without mm. it uh no actually it's actually fine if they don't have <laughs> it. um but if they disgorge it they can they put their essence into the stone, and if the body dies, their mind persists in this stone. Horcruxes, mm -hmm. uh, soul boxes. They're called soul boxes. It, I don't know. Okay. Um, it's like uploading your brain to a computer, basically. So you find There's a USB secretly... with the dragon backed up. Yeah, but if you have the Eldenari and the dragon is alive, then you can communicate with them no matter what distance. That's not really that important. The point is, <laughs> there's a room with like a hundred of those hidden uh -huh. from Galbatorix. Mm -hmm. Because that's the secret of his power. He has a whole bunch of them. And all of the really young Eldenari and the really old Eldenari are all in this one room. And they have been scrying the world for a hundred years and like influencing events and giving dreams of portent to certain people okay and they are the ones who interfered with Arya's spell wait wait wait, wait. so there's literally there's 45 brains that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say the dragons have 45 brains <laughs> there's 45 brains that control the fate of alakasia and they're the force <laughs> so like so, they're not the force so, they're just a force so he's he's imprisoned them all right because this is like all the dragons that exist well, he has all of the, like, fit fighting age dragon Eldenari. Gal Galbatorix does. These are the ones that were spirited away from him to, so that's to like, protect him. Shut up. <laughs> all of the young dragons that were, that disgorged their Eldenari for whatever reason. Which, if you do it too early, then, like, it hampers their mind's ability to grow because you've, like, made the copy too soon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um... But there's a secret, not Galvatorix-aligned stash of 45 dragon brains. Yes, basically. <laughs> and that's, like, a big reveal. Okay. Is that actually, it's kind of like in Eldest. They were, actually, there is a, a dragon rider still around who can teach you. Okay. His name is the Cripple Who is Whole. <laughs> Which, it's a whole other thing. I'm gonna... I kind of want to read these books. 
I'm, I'm going to admit, I am now far more confused. <laughs> it, the point is, there's 45 dragon brains with vast magical powers, and they're the ones who interfered with Arya's sending spell mm-hmm. and gave it to Aragorn because they had been scrying Aragorn, and they were like, I'm not feeling this kid might be the one. Mm-hmm. Are they scrying every child? Or did they just happen <laughs> uh, to find Aragorn and be like, he'll do I mean, they probably were. They knew about him because they know who his parents were. Oh right, I guess he he isn't actually just a random guy because <laughs> he is the son of the of uh, one of the most famous uh, dragon riders, right? Who killed Darth Vader? Who killed Darth Vader? <laughs> right, because also right. So, so the moral of the movie where it's like actually it's because you're just the nobody farm boy that you're the best of us is just a lie. It's just straight up a fucking not a, not true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But Luke Skywalker's also not a nobody farm. No, but they never. They never say they. They say the opposite. They always say to Luke, like Obi Wan is saying, because of your father, because of your father here, become my psychic gun. Like like, that is Obi Wan's character. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's true. I mean, the thing about here's the biggest disconnect between Star Wars and the Inheritance Cycle is that it does have some of the similar, like, elements of this, where like. The dragon brains and Oromus and Glader, the dragon rider pair that are going to teach him, and the Varden in general, and the, everyone who wants him to fight Galvatorix, they also want him to become the psychic gun. He just is okay with it. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> cool. There's, there's zero... Like, the dragon riders aren't a flawed system that toppled because of their internal corruption. Mm-hmm. Galbatorix lost his dragon, got mad, wanted another dragon. They said no, and he decided, ah, now I am mad. He, he's right. It is un, it's unfair. <laughs> Why is every series about a guy, about a boy being molded into a psychic gun? <laughs> because that's what all boys are. Psychic guns? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Why it, is every... it's, it's not, but it is the... The way we would read most chosen one stories map onto that nicely. Only some of them are doing it intentionally. But like Star Wars, Harry Potter, and Gundam are all doing it, and those are like I guess the three stories that I engage with the most. That's dark. That's fucking dark. Yeah. Taking away your license. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the thing, like Harry Potter and Star Wars are just doing chosen one shit, right? Like. Yeah. This is just like a I mean, form. when you think about it, the first psychic gun was Jesus. No! <laughs> yeah, he's a kid sent to become the psychic gun against sin. I don't think he's that, a No, that's, that's Titus, it's Titus. <laughs> Make up your mind, which one is it? Titus, 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 Titus. I, it's... <laughs> I don't remember if I mentioned this to you. I guess this was in 2019 at this point. Whenever I got that PS4 and you got me um, 10 and 10-2, and I played like the first hour of 10, and I forgot that they let you name Titus in that game. Yeah, they never <laughs> say his name in that... both of those games. In both of them? Both of them. That's fucked. I'm just like, that guy. <laughs> the star player of the Xanarka names. Star player of the Xanarka names. <laughs> Jack's son. Wait, are they called the... Are they called the Abes? Because that's... Is that... So it's sin. Are the Abes no, like a biblical thing? Because I don't no. think that's what that game's doing, right? No. 
It's okay. I don't, I'm fairly sure no. If it did, that's okay. it's kind of cringe if it's true. <laughs> so, the Abrahams versus Sin. That's what that's where my mind sin. went. They're not fighting Sin though. They're just like the no, but like bold. you know. I I want to ask you Final Fantasy ten spoiler questions that I knew ten years ago it's, and don't it's anymore. But maybe to I should spoil not. the inheritance cycle. Yeah, we should not. Also, like, oh hey. <clears throat> Because, like, the, the Abes spoilers. at the start of the game are fighting the Duggles, and that's not a reference to shit. <laughs> that's uh, McGonagall's Lost Love, right? Yeah, yeah. Duggle. <laughs> so, um, this movie doesn't get made anymore. No. No, Aragorn no, got made in 2006. This, Shut up. <laughs> not only does this type of movie get, not get made anymore, this type of book, I don't think it's written anymore. Well, so, the thing with Aragorn, right, is that, like, Aragon comes out on the cusp of YA fiction existing. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's in 2004. Because Aragon is not a. I mean, it is kind of a YA book, right? But, like, this is when, like, YA and just fantasy were not as separate. Like, this is just a fantasy book that was clearly aimed right. at younger readers. But the, that hard separation of YA as a curated genre where every single person involved in it was off the deep end unhinged trying to kill each other on Goodreads did not exist. <laughs> so this, this book comes out in 2002 originally as the self-published version. Yes. In 2003 when it gets picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a very different time. Yeah. And you can kind of see the as they go on because it's like what is the what are the what are the years here? It's two thousand three, two thousand five, two thousand eight, two thousand eleven, mm-hmm. and like that fourth one has a major tone shift. Where like eldest is like all dark and brooding, and like Aragon doesn't think life has inherent meaning anymore. And look at the horrors of war. There's no glory in this. And then in the fourth one, it's like. There was a thrill in the battle, and like he did a little quip to Arya, and she quipped back. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is one year post Avengers. This is three years post Iron Man. One year pre Avengers. Pre Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it feels like it got Marvel fied. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Like, we call that weedenized. But I mean, <laughs> right, okay. but that makes sense, right? Because like at the start, he's literally like pulling from Lord of the Rings, right? And Star yeah. Wars and the fantasy of the time. And then uh, 2011, like I sh- I'm going to go ahead and make an assumption about Christopher Paolini, which is that he's just into the contemporary nerd shit of the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So that kind of like uh, timeline of getting weedenized makes like, sense. He, he wrote a fucking space opera book and hired uh, Jennifer Hale to do the audiobook. Not <laughs> because he loved Mass Effect so much. in 2020. In 2020, um, <laughs> he's the most honest motherfucker. Additionally, Paulini admitted he is a Doctor Who fan, which inspired his yes, reference there's... to the Lonely God, uh, the epithet if... given to the Doctor by the face of Bo in the episode New Earth. I remember that. Um, I remember that. There are multiple Doctor Who references in these books, some of which I didn't get, but I was told about. He puts Raxacola Crephalopatorius in the fucking books? That's the he most nerd The first reference. couple of syllables, and then Angela is like, oh, it wouldn't mean anything to you anyway. That's so, so lame. 
<laughs> can I can I say something dark? He basically says in interviews that Doctor Who exists in Allegasia. Like he's been there. Like one of the doctors has been there. I I think I think if we wanted to make I think if we wanted to like make the most Come on. <laughs> you can the do most this. like successful like sell our souls podcast. I think me and Jackson could do a passable episode by episode Doctor Who revival podcast. Oh, easy. <laughs> it wouldn't even be a bad podcast for like a year. I'm trying. How, yeah. how, how long till? Yeah, I, I like those first seasons. Because I really like Doctor Who, and then I then Steve Moffat comes off, and I hate it within like a single episode. I think that um, End of Time Part 2 is a fantastic episode. I could probably episode. manage. I could probably manage to say nice things that I don't mean about the first season of Matt Smith, but yeah. No. That's the only Doctor Who I've seen, and I had a good time. And then I tried to watch Beyond That, and I was like, nah, actually, I'm, Everyone I'm says good. the first season five is fine, but they're wrong. Literally, it begins, there... and the thing that he wins, the, the first episode that he shows up in, he wins by giving a monologue to the audience about how yeah. massive his penis is. Uh, that yeah. was my introduction to Doctor Who. I thought yeah. it was cool. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> well, no, my actual introduction to Doctor Who was in high school when my girlfriend was like, oh, I love Doctor Who and also Torchwood. And I was like, I'll watch one episode. And I watched the first episode of the new Doctor Who. Yeah. You know, bald guy, buzzcut guy. Me, me and Autumn Torchwood oh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is kind of boring, actually. I, and then I turned it off. <laughs> um... <laughs> I I don't like that first season of Matt Smith, but I could probably get on a podcast and be like, oh, it's okay. You know, like, I could probably just lie for money about that. <laughs> Maybe. I think that first season, I remember having a really good time with it. So Anyway, this is not a Doctor Who podcast, but there are <laughs> multiple, there are at least three Doctor Who references off the top of my head, beyond any that I just didn't care. We've kind of been talking just about vague stuff and the way Pauline's a nerd and the movie doesn't make any sense. Let's get into the real shit, which is that when this movie begins, uh, we get the line mm-hmm. that before the Empire, the world, or uh, Algasia, was protected by dragons who exist to protect and serve. The, dr- uh-huh. the, dra- dragon the dragon riders are here to protect and serve, and without them, uh-huh. when um, Galbatorix betrayed the dragon riders and became the the, the king dragon rider, uh, he took on the power. He took on the power from himself, and without the checks and balances, the system failed. And now he seeks to crush out all hope, which is the only plot a movie can have. Uh, because hey, there's a there's a pregnant woman in book one, and then she gives birth in book four, and they name her kid Hope. Bye hate this so much. I was so mad when you told me that. The S on his chest stands for hope. Because <laughs> I was still going to know. I was like, what? The E on his hand stands for hope. <laughs> I was still going to know. I was like, every Hollywood movie that's about war is like about hope. As this vague, apolitical notion of hope that is being snuffed out by the bad guys, I guess. And then any, like, discussion about the struggle and the way, uh, like, resistance is formed to, like, tyrannical power or whatever is through the lens of, like, inspiring hope in the people, whatever that means, right? There's no idea of, like... This is how you end up at um, Rise of Skywalker ending on there's more of us than there are of them and everybody is exercising their Second Amendment rights. (laughs) 
This is literally like where Hollywood storytelling, like the natural endpoint of it. But like in the book, they just talk all the time about how Galbatorix is unbeatable. Nobody can fight him and win. He's just we have no hope against him. Um also, he could end the war at any time if he decided to get off his ass. He just hasn't. He just lets us fight in this war because he doesn't care unless we're actually at his doorstep. Mm-hmm. And that's like the whole reason that there's any conflicts. Like, not like storytelling conflict, like actual conflicts. Mm-hmm. That there's a war because he doesn't just ride out and immediately kill everybody by himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, like the the thing the the, the world has lost, right, is the dragon riders to like fly a dragon out and actually arbitrate conflict. Like the thing that the, the it's saying is that we need the drone strikes because all the power has been like centralized to someone who doesn't actually care. So, like, I guess outside of like the army's purview for conscription, which I don't know who they're fighting against or whatever, uh, just vague war stuff. Ostensibly the Varden, but that. The war with the Varden doesn't actually start until the third book. They don't know where the Varden is in this book. In this movie. Yeah, they, they, they know where the dwarves are. And they, like, they're attacking the dwarves. That's why the army is there. And they happen to find the Varden while they're there also. But, like... Because they're hiding with the dwarves. The movie is like, okay, this is a highly militarized, like, dystopia, I guess. And everyone's being taken off to conscription. Um, and the, the guy says, like, every village must pay their share. Which... It's, it's it's said like an evil thing and it is i guess from one perspective evil but it is also literally how all like warfare in medieval times worked like that that wouldn't have been an exceptionally evil thing to do no as like a like a king in an, it's but, only evil in a post-vietnam america right. but, but, but everywhere else it's but normal. imagine imagine right you have this army recruiting people they are dying in some conflict that you don't really know anything about yeah but it's happening somewhere and this movie is being made in 2006 Uh, i just don't i don't know (laughs) i don't know what influence could well the the, the thing with that is it's like they're not even there's no like um relation between any of the things that are happening it's not like okay the closest they get is like the the butcher doesn't want to be tortured or get involved with Aragon, and so he sells him out and is you know doesn't just like push him away. That's the closest they get. But there's no sense of like, you know that when people went to war in for their lords, right, and just like conscripted to their army, they didn't have to be forced into it because they were already economically coerced into doing so. This was literally the structure on which they lived under. Whereas this betrays it as if unless these soldiers like all the soldiers do is take people for this war but i don't know how the like the town makes money do they trade with a nearby town i guess they do in the book because he's going down to like stay there yeah this is like the thing that makes this not make sense is because like they are just a village in the book Mm -hmm. and they're all farmers and they have like there's the travelers who come through every season and they like, oh, he, they'll they'll bring in some like goods from uh, further abroad, and we'll trade with them before winter comes, and like we'll have like a big feast when they show up, and we'll all like do our thing, and then uh, you know, there's like two or three other villages kind of close-ish, 
but like they're not they're part of the the empire but they're not like there are no troops stationed there right but like what this book has this book this movie has no conception of what empire is other than soldiers that fuck your shit up sometimes but like yeah and there's one guy in charge there's one guy in charge right but there's no sense of like where are the resources going who cares because the Galbatorx isn't even like throwing banquets or like having massive extravagances uh there's no sense of like what the nobility is doing because it's literally just him. <laughs> right. Well, and there's no sense of like uh, how is this different from what was before? And you know that it is different, but like it's not like they just tell you the dragon riders were there to protect and serve, but like they don't actually say like back yeah. in those days like it doesn't even t- like there are details about this in the book that just don't make it into the movie. Well, like, in the movie, when Jeremy Irons talks about like he gives his whole like over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights are the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy, and he gives his whole thing doing that. But the the version of the, in this in this movie is like you know before it wasn't like this. We had the Dragon Riders, and they were cool guys. And I'm like, okay, but how does that change anyone's life? <laughs> I mean. Unfortunately, the story that explains this does now exist, and it's called The Light of the Jedi. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but, like, dragons but are like, like metaphors for destructive violence in a lot of fiction, right? Like, in Game of Thrones, they're basically nukes. Uh, in, like, modern mm-hmm. fantasy, this is, like, a, an obvious part, you know, um, uh, allegory that, which is not necessarily what this movie. This in in Aragon, dragons are sick, but they are still sick because of their destructive violence and power. And so it's basically like saying, "Damn, when we had like nukes, everything was sick, and now only one guy has one nuke, <laughs> and we're, we're, we're fucked." And I don't know how much of this comes from the movie and how much of this comes from talking to Nora about the books, but it seems like a lot of like dragons to Palini is like freedom and like you know the ability to make your own fate a little bit but i i genuinely can't parse like how much of that is coming from the movie that's from the book okay because ajahad who we haven't talked about yet um ajahad is like i don't want you to be bogged down in allegiances people are going to try and play political games with you and make you into their their like pawn I want you to be an authority outside of every, like, other jurisdiction in the world. He immediately dies, and in the next book, Aragon swears fealty to his daughter. <laughs> and, and in that same book, is adopted into Durgrimes and Jedum, which is uh, a dwarf, one of the dwarf clans. So the main dwarf character, Auric, who is not in the movie is like Aragon's bro and then they become like foster brothers and then also he has this relationship with the elves eventually so he's like actually he's tied to everyone and he has like made promises to everyone and he's like trying to like serve everybody rather than being apart from everybody Mm um there's the other part that I think you were starting to bring up a minute ago which is just that like Stuff like this movie doesn't get made anymore yeah. because if the if the first Aragon book came out this year, um, 
after Eldest came out, they would option it, and then, like, Netflix would option it, and then when, in the, like, press cycle for the fourth book coming out, they would announce a TV series that was going to adapt it all, um, and it would just be made a lot more professionally than this is. <laughs> I mean, it would be made with more of an eye for franchise. Yes. We have a thing. Yes. We can do this whole story, and we can really like drive fandom around it I mean, rather yes. than just like we'll make a movie and kind of hope for the best which is what this movie feels like they, yeah. they were going to shoot uh, Aldous and Brasinga back to back like this is on the Wikipedia like the, they, this is the 2006 version of that but the machines that produce these kinds of like fandom media have changed so much in the last 15 years yes like this is this is part of the like Harry Potter gold rush yes for sure but like it's just that, like, in the 20 years since Harry Potter come out has come out, like, the machine just, like, works with a perfect efficiency now that is, like, genuinely, like, startling sometimes to behold. They just launched a whole fucking, like, separate studio just to farm Avatar The Last Airbender for yeah. content. <laughs> but, like, if it came out today, it would be called Inheritance. There would be a flashy symbol. That, yes. like Like, not too fancy, but, like... It's simple and also like distinct, so you could put like put that on your backpack. The the E that's on his hand in this, there would be like months of people at some studio like workshopping the exact right thing, so that yeah, so that you could get pins of it, you could get tattoos of it, you could get. And instead, in two thousand six, it was an E, but it's a dragon. But like the other thing is that like they, this book, this wouldn't be the book to blow up, right? Like, in if this was happening today, you can't do an hashtag own voices pitch for Aragon. Like, there's no also, Aragon was self published because his parents own a publishing company, <laughs> and that just like with in the age of Goodreads, I don't know that that this particular one would have caught on. Yeah, in that same way. Yeah, because people because this first book would get kind of popular, and then there would be a huge controversy on Goodreads as people found out that his parents worked in publishing. Not necessarily. Um, it's, it's named Paolini. What? I think the publishing company is is called Paolini. Right, it? but I, I just Paolini think, LLC. I just think that, like, um... Unless, I... unless it did the thing that that other book did. About like buying its way onto the New York Times bestseller list or whatever the fuck that whole controversy. I was. feel like I feel like every Goodreads uh, like controversy cycle starts with I found out something about this author. Sure. And so like they would try to keep it hush hush that his parents worked in publishing, and somebody would find it out, and there would be you know. I don't even think it would be this much of a blow. I just don't think it has the right qualities to like get word of mouth talked about in the modern age of how yeah. publishing works yeah definitely not what? yeah like you definitely yeah I, I just think like it's exactly like you say like it doesn't have an own voices pitch to it which is... there's nothing like yeah I don't know Christopher Paolini would be tweeting hashtag M writing every day though <laughs> I hope he still is I just hope he's that guy still. Does he have a Twitter? Yeah, he has a Twitter. Oh, thank God. Let's go. Christopher Paolini Twitter watch. 
<laughs> what is his at? His at is just at Paolini. Of course it is. Uh, oh right, the fractal verse. How could we forget about the fractal verse? What is the, fra- is that, the fractal? Is that is that the new one? Yeah, that's his space opera thing. From Paolini hashtag am writing. <laughs> he is tweeting hashtag fan art Friday once in 2012, but it was a retweet. <laughs> he retweeted at Random House. <laughs> he retweeted at Random House. Writing books is the closest men ever come to childbearing, and it's a quote from Norman Mailer. You would get mega canceled if you tweeted that today. <laughs> he he tweeted. Uh, got bored mining by hand in hashtag Minecraft, so reverse engineer the tunnel bore at Il Mango designed for at Don, uh, DoCM77. Much better now. And then uh, DoCM27 uh, tweeted this, like, quote tweeted this, and then he was like, thank you, love the channel, mate. So he's actually hanging out with Minecraft YouTubers now. <laughs> uh, also, his most recent tweet from two days ago is a talking about the Monty Python and the Holy Grail references in his, his books. Um, here's the other thing is like, I don't, I guess this is part of what Ars Arcanum exists for, um, is that I don't have a good sense of like, what is the economy of like guys? What is the economy of guys? (laughs) (laughs) What's the economy of guys? That is what Ars Arcanum is all about. Actually, (laughs) Um, no, what is, like, the economy of people who write fantasy books that, like, is outside of YA? Because Mm -hmm. it feels like, it feels like YA is, like, kind of the emerging of, like, a few different things over the last few years of, like, it's, like, brings in fantasy and romance and, um literary fiction and like puts them all under one roof um as long as it's sort of like pg-13 ish um and like i I think paulini doesn't want to be that i think paulini wants to be a brandon sanderson uh a tolkien or something like that i think he wants to be just a regular author i I mean i think he is because he like got grandfathered in like he's he's just christian paulini he just gets the right he's just the aragon guy he gets to do what he wants now. <laughs> and what he wants to do is play yeah, Minecraft. it helps that he hasn't... He's not, he's not a Sanderson. Because if Sanderson wrote Mistborn and then, like, ten years later put out something new, like, that would be very different from, like, Sanderson writes so many different books and so kind of, I think, gets to decide who he is, whereas Pelony is still just the Aragon guy. Yes. Uh, there's something... About- Someone is making music based on the Aragon books. I'm doing. Like, I'm doing this, <laughs> or like a musical or something. It's called the Inheritance Project that he's tweeting about. Huh. I don't know what that's all about. Well, sure. Uh. But yeah, like. Also. While we're talking about Aragon, <laughs> we might as well mention, like, Aragon also came out in the, you know, 2000s, and it has plenty of little details that you can pick apart and, like, spin, like, a weird word choice into, like, a paragraph of making fun of someone. Mm-hmm. 
which is what an entire community sprouted up around <laughs> called anti shirtical which is a which is amazing because it's like clearly a deep lore reference it's the it's the word for dragon rider in the ancient language so these people care enough to know this but they hate it but they <laughs> specifically they do like text um text only like mst3k readings of an aragon chapter basically is what i saw a lot of but like there was this i don't know i i it was the same as twilight because these these are the same people who did this with twilight mm-hmm. like the popular thing comes out let's pick it apart and make fun of it can i i'm really glad in 2021 that i think everybody i don't know are people still like normal about twilight because i don't know i i think about twilight <laughs> <laughs> i i have watched some of this yes. youtuber that jackson is, yeah, is posting in the chat i was just gonna uh, like leave it there with about... no context but <laughs> <laughs> sorry i derailed the podcast um... you, real quick i'm just gonna say what i was just say is that like when I think of Twilight now, I'm like, oh, those were those dumb romance books I liked when I was a kid. Um, but, like, I, Twilight was a cultural battleground for years and years, mm-hmm. and now it's it seems normal. It seems like you're kind of uncool now if you're hating on Twilight. Oh, you're I'm definitely glad. uncool if you're hating on, uh, hating on Twilight. Cause it's just if a you normal... complain about vampire sparkles or whatever, then you're like... One of the least cool people in the world. Yeah, Turbo Boomer. Like, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Like, if you're going to complain about Twilight, there are many more, like, more interesting and more relevant things to make fun of or, like, to disagree with about the text of Twilight than I think that vampires should be, like, in Helsing and not, like, in Twilight. The thing that happens with Twilight, <laughs> and this is, this is I've seen this a couple times, is that everyone reminisces about Twilight and, oh, just fun fandom, whatever. But yeah, it was stupid. We were, you know, people reminiscing about the old days. And then someone, like, gets a whiff of what happens in the fourth book and then it's like, are you telling me you were all fond of this? As they hear about yeah. the, you know, uh, Jacob stuff. And everyone has to go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, we didn't think it was good. <laughs> um, so I was 12. I didn't people know. thought it was good. <laughs> well, no one thought that that specific plot point was good. No. No, no. I think, I feel like people were not really, even fans were not that enthused by the fourth book. Yeah, I, I so for me, I had a really weird relationship with Twilight where like, Twilight was like, Twilight, I read it and loved it, and it then kicked off my, like, oh, I can't like nerd stuff anymore phase because, like, everybody made fun of Twilight, and I was just, like, relating to it as, like, oh, I'm a closeted person and I like the romance book. I don't know. This is the only time I've ever read a romance book in my entire life because I'm 12. Uh, What's it gonna be? (laughs) Um... What the fuck was I going to say? Jackson is just sending us YouTube thumbnails. Oh, yeah. For me, I was just going to say, I liked the first book. I thought the second book was the best part of the series. And the third and the fourth book, um, even as a, like, 12, 13-year-old, 
kind of missed the mark for me. Can I tell you how I was introduced to Twilight? Oh. My friend at church was like, these books are sick. There's wolves. They're turned into, the werewolves turn into big wolves. There's a vampire. It's fucking sick. Um, I did once, I once got kicked out of a party at youth group because I spoiled the, not Breaking Dawn, but Breaking Dawn Part 2, the film, because it's funny. I spoiled that for somebody and I got kicked out of a, a youth group party. Was it the bit with the, the way the battle went? Yeah, yeah, it's that. It's it's the part that I didn't I have seen the first Twilight movie and the last Twilight movie because like once the movies were coming out was like me trying to get over liking those that series. Um and yeah. That stuff that shit is wild. I wish more than anything so funny. that I was in a cinema in 2012 watching that play out for the first time. Like, holy shit. It would have been so good. Sick. It would have been so good. I saw the first three Twilight movies in one night because it was a midnight premiere. Oh, no. With the other two, like, as played beforehand. Twilight is... And that was, like... I hadn't seen any of the movies until then. I'd read the mm-hmm. books, but... I had... I was in a writer's group as a teen that met at the library. And then afterward... I would hang out with this girl in the library. And I was so upset that I didn't get to hang out with this girl after the writing club. And instead I had to go watch three Twilight movies with my mom and sister and (laughs) our homeschool friends. I'm trying to find out, when were these movies coming out? Because that feels like the moment... I want to say Twilight was 2007. Twilight was 2008, the film. 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. That feels like the moment that, like, the, sh- the machine kind of, like, perfected itself into, like, what it is now. Like, Twilight feels like, ah, we really, we finally fucking nailed it. Like, we finally, like, really capitalized on, like, a YA hit post-Harry uh, Potter. Because yeah, Twilight, like, and then, nails it, and then that leads directly into Hunger Games, and you have the Hunger yeah. Games post stuff. But then there hasn't really been, like, movie adaptation-wise, what's the new thing? Because, like, what happened after Hunger Games? I don't think there's been anything on that level. How, unless I'm forgetting something. Not on that level. There's been I feel, things, though. I feel like... Because after Hunger Games, they tried to make Divergent happen, and Divergent didn't happen. Oh, they only made two um, of those, and then they tried to make the third one a TV show, and all the actors were like, Excuse me, I'm a movie star. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they tried to make um, the Mortal Engines, which that movie's very funny. We should watch that Mortal movie. Mortal Instruments, also. Yeah, um, we should we should watch that movie though. Yeah, what if City was truck? What if City was truck? Um, I know some stuff about the ending of that that's, movie that's hilarious. Is that a Del Toro movie? No, 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 no. I thought it was related to Pacific Rim in some way. No, like the same director. I I, I have no idea. Um... Del Toro only produced the second uh, Pacific yeah, Rim movie. He's not really involved in that one. Um, what am I thinking of then? Who who directed this movie? I fe- I feel like I feel like this machine became perfect, and then like Marvel just kind of destroyed the f- economy of making movies for a that decade. That might be true because I'm like because the Hunger Games ended in 2015, I think, and there were other ones of this type. Because it was Divergent, there was like The Maze Runner, and. Um, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I was always expecting there to be something like to fill that slot after Hunger Games, but there hasn't really. It's literally just been like Marvel or shit. Like that's it. Marvel's it. 
all fandom for all audiences runs to Marvel. They have the wire people. They well, have it's the Marvel normal nerds. and it's Netflix shows. Yeah. Star Wars happened. Star Wars and happened, Star Wars but Star Wars happened. did not get like they've got the problem <laughs> that Star Wars doesn't have the like four X fandom in the way. Star Wars, despite mm. everything, is still for nerds. It's like the <laughs> biggest movie in the world and has been for fifty years. Still for nerds. I don't know who fucked this up. This is yeah. So the moment that the Hunger Games ends, you said it was twenty fifteen. Yes. That's the year that Age of Ultron came out. Oh no. And like, that's Age of Ultron, and then Ant Man like a month and a half later. <laughs> like, <laughs> Marvel was just in effect at this point, and just like, I don't know. It just felt like there was like. It felt like every movie between Age of Ultron and Endgame just didn't matter. And I don't mean, like, every Marvel movie. I mean, like, literally any movie that was produced that was, like, not a Marvel movie just didn't matter for six years. That's, that like, is not maybe true. Maybe COVID will change that. It is not. That's <laughs> yeah. not exactly true, but it is indicative of the sheer, like just the scale of cultural dominance that Marvel had. Everyone just had to spend eight weeks pretending they didn't despise WandaVision and then get mad at it when nothing ended up... It was all, like, trailers for future stuff. And they... Okay, the WandaVision stuff is hilarious to me because you know how that thing ended and everyone was mad that nothing actually ended up being resolved? Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of the teasers mm-hmm. paid off. Uh, and the, Which then beautifully pivoted to another discussion of a bunch of people, like, self-importantly saying, actually, you other entitled nerd for thinking that the story was about more than trauma <laughs> as if it's like no, they put the fucking teasers in the thi- they did this on purpose they're doing this at both ends you know everything's an advert for future well, stuff and then you like shore the discourse up by saying actually it's smart that we were advertised to yeah you could you, all you have to do is put in two lines about how in Thor Ragnarok about how wow colonialism exists and maybe is bad and now you've insulated your (laughs) you've now insulated yourself from all discourse because nobody can be mad at you because you paid lip service to a social issue (laughs) yep it's it's really incredible and now Marvel has pivoted to TV so we're all all fucked fucked. (laughs) Uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier (laughs) airing tomorrow I guess I don't know when it's actually coming out but you know the God, you see the premise of that, right? No, no. Oh my God, the premise of that is that Falcon and the Winter Soldier are having to fight the anti-patriots, an anarchist anti-Captain America group. Is this where the flag smasher comes from? Yes, this is where the flag smasher comes from. I'm going to lay down. I should also say that um, me saying that movies didn't matter from 2015 to 2021 also coincides with me like going from intense letterboxed film nerd to like i don't like gamers <laughs> no 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 because this is also like the time where i kind of stopped being a gamer so you know what else was happening mm-hmm. that we've ignored what two other like big things from books fucking beefed it what? what Fantastic Beasts and Hobbit were also coming out. Well, Fan- yeah. Hobbit was slightly fan, earlier. Nobody gives a shit. We, <laughs> me and Em were literally just looking up like how much money movies made. All Hobbit movies made almost a billion dollars. I think the first one might have made over, but the second two were like nine hundred million. I feel like a billion dollars doesn't mean anything anymore, though. <laughs> you know what's cool? You know what's cool? <laughs> a billion dollars. <laughs> Did you see that thing Manofsky was posting about, like, 
they're definitely going to like re-release Endgame uh, once everybody's vaccinated. Uh, um, yeah. Just to like reclaim the title of like highest grossing film ever. But don't they also own Avatar? Yes, no, they, they re-released both. They are they won't re-release Endgame until after Avatar two, when they can advertise it as a sequel to the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, is my bet because like, th- you know, they don't need to do that for Marvel, but I th- I assume that they will keep this in place until they can advertise the Avatar sequels. Then Endgame can take it back. Unexpected journey worldwide, one billion twenty-one million. Jesus Christ! That movie's fine. There's a scene where the wizard punches a ghost and gets legendary loot out of it. <laughs> Apart from the fact where, like, it literally ruined an entire country's economy, like more than every almost every other movie combined. Um, the first Hobbit yeah. movie has some watchable scenes. This cannot be said for the other two. No, he doesn't punch. He hits a ghost with a stick, and then it drops loot for him. (laughs) Dialectical materialism is when you're like, I do like when the wizard punches a ghost, but also I don't like when they ruined the economy of New Zealand. Economy and labor laws of a country. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, um. Jeremy Irons yeah, is cool in this movie. <laughs> Jer- Jeremy Irons is great in this movie. He steals every scene he's in. That's right. We're still talking about Aragon. Bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> the arrogance you had to think we had moved on. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving the podcast. Craig, stop. <laughs> also, I'm also, making this. Yeah, can you not face Kylo Ren for uh, 2006? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that's much more so when he has, like, things to do in mm-hmm. the book. But, yeah. We never did that Light of the Jedi podcast, did we? No, because none of us... No. Who, who among us actually finished Light of the Jedi? I Me did. and Nora. Oh, I, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I didn't, because it was too terrible. It's the... It's... Well, it's probably the worst book I've ever read. It's probably the worst book I've ever Is finished. Is this the Joker of books? It's probably the worst book I've ever finished because books are long enough that I don't feel bad about dropping them if I don't like them. It was so bad. Order of the way in. It's wretched. It's pretty bad. You keep thinking, will there be a turn? It only gets worse. You keep thinking, will there be a turn where it gets less fash? And you told me that there wouldn't, so I stopped. I mean, there's a... There's a... There are some turns. There's the part where he introduces the, like... S- the the sicko Gungan, right? He's called Wet Bulb because he's always covered in blood. Yeah, I forgot that. I forgot that there's a Joker Gungan. There's a Joker Gungan. We uh, we could podcast about that still, but we'd have to like go look at like pretty extensive summaries because I don't remember. I dropped so much of it out of the my memory. The fucking old guy from Force Awakens is a Santeca. Yeah. That's why he has the map to Luke Skywalker, because his family historically have been hyperspace prospectors. That's just been the family business for 250 years without interruption. That's how those things go. No, it's not. I think Star (laughs) Wars might be bad. Star Wars is so bad. I don't know. I'm I'm awaiting more further evidence, but... (laughs) 
We'll investigate further. You will go back to war. We'll investigate further when we go... Back to back war. To war. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I need to tell you something. I have a plan for the Back to War podcast um, that I need to tell you about before we record. It's the Back to War. You but can't I have say to... the Back to War podcast. <laughs> I have to. T- I just said to the same thing twice off air because it's like a little surprise for the listeners. I have an idea. Okay. Do we have anything more to say? Galvatorix's dragon is named Shrukin, which is just Shrukin, Shrukin with the letters moved around. <laughs> At the end of this movie, Durza shows up on a dragon, and everyone's like, "Well, no." No one really reacts in the in the movie, but you in the audience are like, hang on, there's only meant to be one other dragon in the world. That was a massive plot point. And then, as Fear explains, oh no, it's just an illusion of magic. Which raises the question, if you can get the power of a dragon through the illusion of magic, what the fuck does it mean to have a dragon? You know, the Sundarablaka, or the beast as it's called, is a creature of dark magic conjured from the burned bodies of Galvatorix's soldiers. One of the most... One thing. You go, you go. The thing about that is that there are spirits in Aragon, and they are very powerful, and they don't don't follow the rules. They can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And a shade is a sorcerer possessed by spirits, because sorcerers conjure spirits and force them to do their bidding. That's what they do. That's their whole deal. If you summon spirits you can't control, they'll possess you and turn you into a shade, and then just do evil shit. Um, one of the more unreal aspects of this movie is that they do the happy ending, and then instead of going to credits and midway through the credits, um, doing the like sequel hook thing, they just do the sequel hook thing immediately after <laughs> the ending, and it it just feels like it's from a. It feels like it's like. Oh, they put it together wrong. Like, that's not the rhythm of these things. The rhythm of it is that you do the happy ending. You play after do a little animated sequence where you say the director, the writer, and the stars. Then you do cut to Galbatorix being like, Ah, I'll do it myself. We'll do it live. <laughs> he does basically um, do the Thanos, I'll do it myself scene. <laughs> It's so funny that he says, I'll do it myself, and then doesn't show up again for, like, five more movies after that. And he looks different. Trying to, like, piece together a narrative of what Thanos is doing in all his appearances before Infinity War that make no fucking sense is so funny. It's like six years of films where he would show up and be a different character in all of them, because nobody cared. Nobody cared. Yeah, he shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy and does not look like... Thanos he shows up in Aragon because when Sephira has the dragon helmet on, she just looks like Thanos. <laughs> she's got the chin fringe. She's got like the weird helmet. She just when she's looking straight at the camera, she just looks like Thanos. She really does. The dragon, I think, looks good in this movie. Yeah, I think. Hey, by the way, this movie directed by a primarily a visual arts visual something supervisor guy. Yeah, not a director. This is his only directing credit, aside from a second unit directing credit for something else that I can't remember. But I, I, I think the dragon looks good. Yeah, all of the effects in this movie look pretty good. Yeah. I think this, like, visually, this movie just looks pretty cool. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't go that way. Less important than like the director it. credits is the credits for the screenwriter, uh, Peter Buckman, who wrote Jurassic Park 3. Uh-huh. Oh. Aragon. 
Mm-hmm. And then Che Part 1 and Che Part 2. The no! The Soderbergh Che biopic. <laughs> so, um... Well, okay, you say biopic? Because I used to say biopic, and then people bullied me into saying biopic. But I feel like biopic is right. Biopic is, like, I guess less correct if you want to, like, take the words into account, but it is what everyone says. <laughs> so I say biopic, but I don't. I also don't really care, I guess. And, and then The Foreigner, uh, the Jackie Chan movie from, two, like, three years ago. So, the- uh, click on the foreigner for me, Nora. Would you please? I I might know <laughs> this. Just gonna lay a bunch of pictures in front of me and say, "Click on the foreigner." <laughs> Wasn't well, the movie about yeah, um, um, Jackie Chan coming to fight the IRA or something? Uh, yeah, this isn't the one that I want. Um, I think I'm just gonna. Yeah, this isn't the one. There's one where uh, Jackie Chan puts jump jumper cables on a baby to restart its heart that I watched. Um, that's from around that same time period. What, 2017? Yeah. Like a, like a late Jackie Chan movie where he put... Jump- like a late Jackie Chan movie where he... I, I could go... Because I, I heard this talked about on a podcast, so I could go find that episode of the podcast pretty easily. But there's, yeah, there's one where Jackie Chan puts jumper cables on a baby to restart its heart. That wouldn't work. (laughs) (laughs) I would not advise putting jumper cables on a baby, unless you are a professional. Rob B. Hood. Thank you, Nora. (laughs) Uh, It's 2006, which is still late period Jackie Chan, but like a very different late period I was going to say, that doesn't sound like a... Like, modern movies take themselves way too seriously. This is like the era of the tuxedo you are describing to me. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's Rob B. Hood. Nora is dutifully trying to search through the, um... <laughs> Why does it keep doing going nowhere? She's trying to search through the Wikipedia summary. Just go to the plot. No, it's fine. Okay. Should we end this podcast? Uh, we do have two questions. We should probably answer them. Yeah. How long have we been going? 90 minutes. Damn, I thought it was like an hour. Um, Nora, do you want to read the questions? Do you want me to read the questions? The movie's runtime is 103 minutes. Extended edition, 104 minutes. (laughs) What did they add in? uh, There's an extended edition? Yeah, but by one minute. Oh, okay, who cares? I assume Um, that's just, like, a couple bits of shots of blood or something. uh, Ryan asks... As a kid and young Harry Potter fan, I remember watching this movie, expecting a similar vibe, and I turned it off about ten minutes in. Why is John Malkovich in this movie? Because he's great. He's great. He's one of the best things. He should be in it more. He suffers without his stone. Without his I stone. I suffer without my stone. Do not prolong <laughs> my suffering. I think I think in 2021, it's easy to forget that John Malkovich is like, a mildly beloved character actor um, to the extent that one time they made a movie about how funny it would be if you made a movie about John Malkovich. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's an actually famous... I don't think he's, like, an actually famous actor in the way that, like, if you put Alec Guinness in this movie, you'd be like, what the fuck is Alec Guinness doing there? (laughs) 
But if you put, like, Brad Pitt... Yeah, if Brad Pitt was in this movie, you'd be like, he's, like, really famous. Why is he in this? But John Malkovich is of the appropriate level of fame to be in the I have never seen John Malkovich in any movie except this. (laughs) You should watch some John Malkovich. I remember finding Con Air hilarious back in the day. It is hilarious. That... So I so Con Air is a movie I saw at like fourteen years old. Blew my mind in how stupid it was. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, he's guess, in that movie about the diamond thieves. I guess I did see Transformers: Dark of the Moon and Juno, but I couldn't tell you where John Malkovich was in any of those. This is what I mean. He is like a mildly famous character actor. <laughs> It's funny if you made a movie about John Malkovich. That's the joke. (laughs) Crystal asks, The Xbox 360 Aragon game was truly the last bastion of the licensed console game before all the movie tie-in games moved to mobile. What are some of your favorite movie tie-in games for the 360? For me, I played a lot of the Iron Man demo because I thought flying around was fun. My last year of college, I was living in a dorm, um, and... At some point, one guy played through the Avatar tie-in game, like, four times in two days because he didn't want to study. Um, really didn't want to study? Yeah, that's what I got. I don't remember. Uh, I've seen some footage of the Aragon video game. It's fucking wild. Mm-hmm. It looks sick as hell. Oh, my Does God. Yeah. He reaches for the stone. He's like, give me your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I have to send you the screenshot. But like, there's, there's like this weird mixture of like live action and CG. Please look at this. Like overlaying the screen. <laughs> oh, I knew it. I knew Craig was gonna fail us. He failed us, Craig. Yeah, this is Every Durza time. saying, "Give me your Give phone. Me your phone. <laughs> Give me your Eldenari." <laughs> <laughs> Is this is this supposed to be like, because this is the same year as like, the better Need for Speed Most Wanted game? Yes, right. Um, I think that was actually the year the before. Not the one that's like a poor man's Burnout Paradise. I think that was actually the year before. Okay, yeah. Okay, that tracks. This is also um, a, this is around the same time as the Deathly Hallows video game, which looks hilarious too, right? This is like five years before that. Okay, well, never mind. But yes, like, because this this movie comes out after Goblet of Fire, I think, before Order of the Phoenix. Is Goblet of Fire, was that the first of the 360 games that's just a Gears of War? No, I think that's, uh, um, six. Order of the Phoenix? No, I think it's, uh, Half-Blood Prince, because that's 2009, and Order of the Phoenix 2007, and Game I'm looking at the, at the Aragon video games, because the Game Boy Advance and the DS games are totally different. This is the actual thing that I miss, that I think we've talked about with Harry Potter stuff, too, is that I miss the, the days when, um, if you put out, um, a movie tie-in game, you had to make a totally different game for, like, PS1, Game Boy, and Game Boy Advance. That's the shit that I miss. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this fucking weird-ass Aragon rhythm game RPG. I should play that Game Boy Advance game. I'm posting it in the chat now. Like, what is this? 
Uh, what this is when you're this is when you ask your mom for Golden Sun and your mom is like, oh, but you like those Aragon books. I want a Blade <laughs> McFlurry. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Is that when Wesley Snipes gives you ice cream? What is <laughs> that? I want a McFlurry. At some point in the Aragon Game Boy Advance game, you fight Magicka. <laughs> <laughs> He's called Brom. Are we done with this podcast? Yes! <laughs> I feel like I failed somewhat. To, uh, I feel like I've been a bit of a bad guest uh, doubling no. the chaos energy, but uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. This is the podcast. You know what? This is the podcast. The only one who failed today was Craig. <laughs> Speaking of guesting, uh, Jackson, where can people find you online? Well, before we end the podcast. Okay. Nowhere. I just want to say, like, I really like this movie. Yeah, I genuinely enjoy this movie. I did not hate like, watching it. <laughs> it was very stupid. And this, I was struck by, like, it. none of the scenes held together, but mm-hmm. most of the, like, scenes had, like, a setup that was being argued on from multiple perspectives. <laughs> and it felt like an actual story even if it was like a disaster that was edited into a nightmare mm-hmm. uh, but like Brom would say something and then Aragorn would say something it's like oh I'm naive and childish and then Brom would say no you must do this and then be like ah oh, the story is happening in front of me like this is what bad movies and, used to be like and like they say at the beginning like oh eventually like the dragon and rider became so melded that you could fight from anywhere even the tail and he's like oh i'm gonna try oh no i'm too scared i can't do it and you just Maybe like no and then at, at the end of the movie that's what they do to win against durza the setup payoff abc <laughs> this movie has a beginning middle and end what more could you ask for so many things <laughs> But no, I had a good time watching this movie. I I think if I wasn't watching it with you, I would have turned it off ten minutes in. But uh, I think you a... would have suffered without my stone. Yeah, <laughs> but like you would have missed out on the weird sword fights, the two of them that are both homoerotic. If this movie came out today, the last it would be. If this movie came out today, that last action scene would also be thirty minutes longer. It would be torture. <laughs> if this movie came out today, I would make a uh, fan cam for his cousin. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that in the book that character is like a six and a half foot tall, muscle bound bear, mm-hmm. compared to this like total twink. Yeah, absolute twink. <laughs> uh, Aragon does go through twink t- twink tf in the books. That's like a plot point. Um, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Do you, do you remember the part in the movie where Durza does a cool flip over him and strikes his back with his sword? Yes. So, in the book, Aragon is left with a big scar across his back that causes him to have, like, fits and, like, seizures and intense pain. And it interferes with his training as a dragon rider. And then, like, in the big... The Agave Blodren, which is, like, the festival celebrating the, the time that the elves and dragons decided not to genocide each other, um, the embodiment of the pact between elves and dragons changes his body into being an 
human elf hybrid um, that heals his every scar on his body and like takes away that um, impairment. Wow. There we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a wild book. There's a lot of weird shit about disability in these books. Yeah, the books seem loaded in many ways. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Stop with that, Christopher. We didn't really, we didn't really bring up most of it because I, you know, we were talking about the movie mostly. But yeah, there's a lot of weird shit in the books that I was like thinking about <laughs> as I was rereading them. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this it? Are we have we podcasted? Did we podcast? Yeah, I just wanted to like mention that I do really, I just like this movie a lot. I think it's great. <laughs> um, it's it's really fun. Jackson, where can people find you online? You find me at headfallsoff on twitter.com. I'm at abnormalmapping.com with a bunch of cool podcasts. You should go listen to them and support them on Patreon at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping where you can get the Great Gundam Project for $1 a month where we watch Gundam every week. It's sick. If you liked this podcast, you should subscribe to the Abnormal Mapping Patreon for $5 because Blockbusters has a similar, like ethos to it that this podcast did i feel like oh yeah no we um, did start blockbusters lately and it's a we just watched jurassic park we're about to watch snyder cut it's gonna be good it's the jurassic park episode's really good um, yeah it's really good thank you nora where can people find you you can find me on twitter at your nora find my other stuff at norablake.online you can listen to a bunch of my podcasts at patreon.com slash export audio you can find a bunch of bonus podcasts uh, I do with Olivia and with Curly. We just had an episode go up of Import Audio where Curly and I talked about Apex Legends and Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 2 in depth. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, you should listen to my podcast Hot Singles which just had a Patreon exclusive bonus episode go up where Regs and I ranked all of the albums we've talked about on Hot Singles and get fucking irate with each other over two things. Like, just like, I was screaming at them. I remember, I was in the other room. (laughs) I closed the door when you started because you were too loud. And that was before you started yelling. Well, that was before you started yelling at each other. Yeah. Um... This bitch got sound-canceling headphones. I was also recently guesting on a podcast. I have no idea when it's coming out, but um, just subscribe to Ghost Divers and, you know, it'll show up when it shows up. (laughs) I think it'll be a few weeks from now. Genuinely don't know. We did it! Aragon. Paolini has, like, a sign-off that he uses in all of his writing. Mm-hmm. It's in the ancient language from his books. Bazinga. Yeah. Do you want me to vamp while you go find this sign-off real quick? Maybe. Um, what other, like, YA books could we cover on export? So, or, like, Owner YA... Sverdar Sitya Havas, which means may your swords stay sharp. May your... Well, now we're done. Light be your guiding and key. And also with you. <laughs> may your light be your guiding key. <laughs> May your heart be your guiding key, please. Oh, I, look, I forgot who told, said it, but it was basically like if suddenly in episode nine they started saying, may the force be with you out of nowhere. It's so funny. <laughs>
One of my favorite moments of um, You're not watching you play Together Kingdom Hearts like, over Twitter. I was just like waiting for side, you to get to Hearts 2.9. I knew about Kingdom Hearts 2.9. Feels like the end. There's no place to go. You know I won't give in. No, I won't give in. Keep holding on. Cause you know we'll make it through. We'll make it through. Close and it comes to an end with you by my side. 